You are listening to John Diard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hey everybody, I'm Dr. John Diard. Welcome to the Life Spa podcast. Today we have a, a very special guest, Angela Perger. She's the founder of the Simple Ayurveda School. It's a minimalist school where we learn about Ayurveda from the point of view that less is more, I imagine. We're going to dive deep into how to make Ayurveda simple. You know, in Ayurveda, we all know that you can spend your whole life doing Ayurvedic routines and Ayurvedic techniques, and it becomes very quickly overwhelming. So Angela is going to talk, talk to us today about how to really simplify your Ayurvedic routine. I love this concept. Um, she's an Ayurvedic professor, practitioner. She's been doing this for more than 20 years. Angela, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So why don't we start, um, before we get into the, the minimal part of our discussion, why don't we talk a little bit about how you got here in Ayurveda, what got you to Ayurveda, how did, how did all that happen? For me personally, it was my own struggle with chronic illness that brought me to Ayurveda. I first fell in love with yoga in my early 20s, so I was already sold into the Vedic system. I was introduced to Ayurveda at my first yoga teacher training, but like a lot of people, I was more confused than having clarity. I thought it was intriguing and interesting, but I didn't understand it or how to apply it to my own life. So some time went by and then through my own struggles with health, through having autoimmune conditions, I tried everything out there, <laughs> um, all the diets, protocols, holistic health, Western medicine, and then finally landed back at Ayurveda. And once I started studying Ayurveda formally, my whole life changed like the simple things that I, I went in to heal my digestion, but meanwhile, my, I was breastfeeding a baby. I was exhausted, you know, running around like a typical <laughs> postpartum Western mom. And the simple lifestyle changes just created so much ease in my life. And my energy shifted the way that I just viewed my life shifted. And those were all bonuses I wasn't expecting. Cause I really sort of went in to heal digestion. But of course, it's kind of like when you go to yoga for the workout, Shavasana still works its magic. So I went to Ayurveda for digestion, but uh, it worked its magic in so many other ways. And of course, my digestion is on a healing path, but so many other things in my life are also on a healing path that it brought. And basically, I fell in love with Ayurveda. So I started the Simple Ayurveda podcast out of like, this is amazing information. <laughs> I want to put it out there. And it evolved into a career over time. So when you first started, you know, you said that you, you got into Ayurveda and everything changed. Was there something about it? Like, were there like one or two things that, that you learned from Ayurveda that were game changers for you? Yes. I think it's so simple to say, but a daily rhythm and mindful eating. I had been to so many holistic health practitioners and gotten so many diet recommendations, but the simple advice of don't scroll, don't read, don't watch TV, don't <laughs> do whatever you're else you're doing, except for sitting down to eat. I know it seems like common sense, but I wasn't doing it. And I could blame it on the fact that I had a toddler and a baby. And then one day I was running errands by myself and I stopped at Whole Foods and I was about to pull out my phone and scroll social media while I was eating. And I was like, the kids aren't even here. I can't blame it on them. This is me. <laughs> um, and just something like woke up. So it, it took time to actually chew. I know these things sound so simple and I know 
<laughs> that Ayurveda is such a vast and nuanced science, but just simply chewing food well and focusing on that was such a game changer from eating in the car, like running around, not prioritizing food. I feel like it was that step toward true self-nourishment for me. And then um, the other aspect was the daily rhythm and learning about the doshic times of day. And I mean, children are already kind of living that, but I know I have fallen into the trap of they're finally in bed at seven or eight o'clock at night. So now I can get my laptop out and have fun and Google all the things I'm excited to learn about or watch something. And that obviously we know disrupts sleep. And so I know it's like, these are just very simple, basic things. But when I actually applied them in a true committed way, it really did change my life. You know, I think that's so cool. I used to say when I was when I was teaching at a couple of the Ayurveda colleges, I would say that the first 20 years of my practice were basically telling people to stop, relax, and enjoy their food. And because it is such a critical piece of the puzzle, you know, Ayurveda says, what, 85% of all disease comes from digestion. And we just sort of gloss over that, you know, because we hear it, even if you learn Ayurveda, you kind of hear it. But like you said, you gloss over it, but you actually started practicing it with actual rigor and really doing it, it was a complete game changer. For me, it was a crazy story. I, I was uh, writing my first book where Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King were writing the forward to my book. And I was hosting them at our Ayurveda clinic. They were doing Punch of Karma with us. And I was getting them tennis courts to play because they were was right before Wimbledon. And, uh, <clears throat> and I went and got the tennis courts organized. I had to kind of race back to get them and everything and sort of a busy time. And I stopped at a pizzeria and got a couple of pieces of pizza and I was eating it on the car, right? And eating it in the car because I was starving. And I get back to the clinic and then I had this contractor at my house and he was like wanting to do some work or giving us an estimate on stuff. And by the time that happened, I was so like that food hit so hard that I literally couldn't keep my eyes open. I was falling asleep, walking around our house, looking at, I think it was gutters or something. And I was, so I literally stood there with my hand like this, with my finger holding my eyelid open because I couldn't keep my eyes open. I was so tired, which was so weird because we had an Ayurveda clinic and once a week for the staff, we'd have like a healthy pizza, but it was pizza, basically cheese and bread and everything, not anything particularly different. And I've had pizza before. I never felt that feeling. And it was just that like wake up call for me, like, wow, you know, driving in your car on the run, go, 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 go and eating is just such a is such a distortion of trying to get your your body to digest something while your mind is completely focused on something else you know and i think that what you said is so powerful because it's so simple stop relax enjoy eat your food you also mentioned um the daily rhythm though there's something about the daily rhythm that was kind of unique that that was was a game changer for you as well yeah just um like honoring, I think like honoring that it's bedtime. So I guess along with the daily yeah. rhythm is truly prioritizing sleep, not just saying, I think um, I'm really passionate. I get excited about stuff. So it's like, if I have that time at night, I, I want to dive into learning, but that's right. still stimulating, even though it's like fun stimulation, it's still stimulation. So making time for that at another time of the day and doing things to wind down. Like right now, 
after they go to bed, it's like absolutely no technology. I don't even want to listen to a guided meditation because I don't want to be tempted to look at any sort of device. And I just like to, I have a biomat, which I love. <laughs> and I like to lay on the biomat and do restorative yoga before bed. And um, now I'm sleeping like a baby, which is amazing. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So you, you also mentioned that you were diagnosed with ulcerative colitis which is no easy thing to treat. And you were able to manage that. I'm super curious to know, like what were some of the top things you did to manage that? Well, I have to be honest, it's still an ongoing journey. I was diagnosed 20 years ago. And at the same time, I was also diagnosed with primary sclerosing cholangitis, which is an autoimmune liver condition where the bile ducts scar and it's extremely rare. So um, I have to say Ayurveda, helped me to create a lifestyle that's more in alignment with who I am, like that I need quiet downtime. Ayurveda helped me to figure out I need sleep. I mean, anyone that's been sleep deprived knows like if you're not sleeping, just stop and focus on that only in my opinion, <laughs> because you can't even think clearly without the sleep to even do the other stuff. Um, right. So like the lifestyle, Ayurveda provided me the foundation, but then I brought in other things along the journey. When I first came to Ayurveda, I did have, we could say like a remission and I thought that I was cured, <laughs> hopeful thinking. Um, but then the symptoms did come back. And so I had to look outside of Ayurveda and I worked with a functional medicine doctor. And I also worked with a German new medicine practitioner who opened my eyes to some mindset blocks that I had that I wasn't even fully aware of to unpack the mindset shift. So for me though, having that foundation of Ayurveda first created a calmness of Vata Dosha that I was able to work with a functional medicine doctor. And I was able to work with the German new medicine coach and look at mindset blocks in a different way than before Ayurveda, because before Ayurveda, I did try different things, but it was so scattered. And it was kind of like, when I started studying Ayurveda formally and my teacher really drilled in mindful eating and daily rhythm, and those created a calmness in me that allowed me to approach other things with a different perspective, a different type of energy. Before I had various people suggesting herbs and things, and my mind was all over the place, not knowing which way to turn. Meanwhile, I wasn't really focused on mindful eating and sleep. <laughs> so it's not to right. say that mindful eating and sleep and daily rhythm are everything when you have a very challenging diagnosis to work with, but it's like without those things, without that foundation of calmness and stillness <laughs> and rhythm, I have in my own experience of 20 years, <laughs> it's very difficult to wade through the nuance and the details of herbs and things like that when your mind is just all over the place, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. What I love about, you know, we're really talking about, you know, uh, a simple approach, a minimalist approach to Ayurveda, where you kind of realize that, you know, <clears throat> the power of Ayurveda is sometimes in the most simple things that we just think, oh, I'll never really do anything. But when you look at Ayurveda, the seat of Vata, the seat of the nervous system, they knew thousands of years ago is your large intestine. And of course, that's where ulcerative colitis, you know, wreaks havoc. And so if you're trying to treat something that is ulcerated, in your intestinal tract, it probably makes good sense to ask what's causing the ulceration, right? And, you know, and that could be bad food, irritating food, irritating the lining, could be that, 
could be certain stimulants, the caffeine could be an irritant. A lot of things can be irritants to the gut. But stress is what you're in. All the stress is processed through your gut. It alters your microbiome, your gut lining, the environment, and sends a message to your brain called the brain-gut, you know, bidirectional pathway. So it's uh, it does make a lot of sense that if you have a gut health issue, then you really want to kind of capture the fort, right? Which is going to be look at the, the seat of the vata, seat of vata, the seat of the nervous system, and where you're how you're processing your stress. And if you're not processing well, not sleeping well, which is when you rejuvenate your nervous system, melatonin, when you sleep at night, has been shown to actually completely reset your the bugs in your gut, your microbiome, right? Which is the lining and the environment of your gut. So so when you're sleeping, it's so important for your gut. And of course, you know, having a relaxful environment, which our culture is just going like 90 miles an hour all the time. And all that is plowed through your gut. And then it's bi-directionally impacting how you think and your worries. And of course, and don't forget that the, the gut respiratory tract, respiratory tract, gut relationship is also bi-directional. So if you have bad bugs in your gut because of stress, you're going to have altered bugs in your respiratory tract, which are going to do what? They're going to you know, compromise your both gut and respiratory immunity. So I love what you're saying. And this is sort of, I don't know what you call it, the simple, the simple version or the simplest way of Ayurveda, the minimalist way of Ayurveda. Um, and that's um, what I want to talk about with you, you know, diving into that. Um, tell us what that is. I'm super curious to know, like, how do you like dial down all the numerous, innumerable kind of little lifestyle tips you can do all day long in Ayurveda, which obviously overall, when I first got into practice, I was guilty as charged. I would tell people, oh, do this, 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 this. And then I had a patient come back to me like 10 years later. And she said, you know, I came to you 10 years ago and everything that was really, really right. It made sense, but I wasn't ready for you. I go, what do you mean? She goes, you gave me all these things to do and I just couldn't do them. And I was like, man, that's my fault, you know, because I was just whatever, just overzealous and and I think the real the key is to really begin to, and that's why I want to pick your brain and like what is the the minimalist approach that really you know you know really moves the needle for your patients, um, but doesn't overwhelm them. So where do you start? I think to have in your mind what minimalist is is helpful, and I don't know that there's a definite definition, but for me, I think of it as having clarity on what's most important to you as a person. Right. So to like call yourself a minimalist <laughs> means like that you have true clarity on what is most important in your life. And that takes time, especially if you have brain fog and your vat is deranged <laughs> and you're a pizza workaholic. I mean, I was all speaking from personal experience. It takes time to uncover what are the most important things in your life? And I do think they shift or our relationship to the words might shift. So personally, I like to do a little core values exercise every winter solstice around that time, like the end of December, beginning of January, just to reevaluate what are the most important things in my life. And I like to journal it or mind map it and write down, come up with like the four to five key concepts that are most important to me. So right now I have three that are most important. I'm just giving you an example. One is home, which also represents family, like husband and children and my new puppy. <laughs> one is um, heart centered and one is wholeness. I've kind of have 
I'm tired of with the word health. <laughs> so I thought like, how else can I think about this in my mind? That Because to me, health is like exercise and eating right and like to do, I guess a little bit. And I just wanted a more like zoom out perspective. So those are the most important things to me. And um, right now at this time in my life, having a seven and 10 year old, they are more important than my work. Even though I love my work, being a mom is the most important thing to me. So therefore I work during school hours. I say no to a lot of stuff, not because I don't want to do it, but just because that's the priority in my life. So to even before we even can say like, what is Ayurveda minimalist? I think understanding what is a minimalist. And so just for example here, and this is like, you know, everyone has their own view of what's most important. I'm not saying that these things need to be important to you, but just for me, like being a mother is so important. So therefore I don't take clients in the evenings. I don't work on the weekends. Like I go to all the kids events. That's where I am in my life right now. Maybe I won't always be there, but that's my priority right now. So in order to balance things, um, you know, I, sometimes I have to make quote unquote hard decisions or let things go that I would really want to do, but they're just not, it's not the right time in my life. So that is minimalism. It's like being super clear on what's most important to you so that it's a little easier to let go of the stuff. And I think in modern day life, there are just, there's so much knowledge, information, events, fear of missing out. Like if you don't have clarity on what's most important to you, <laughs> you, it is very easy to be all over the place, not finish anything, sign up for a bunch of different courses, events, never follow through with any of it. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's very easy. So when you have that clarity, it makes the decision-making process a little bit easier. So then if we look at a minimalist approach to Ayurveda, Ayurveda is endless. You could go into so many facets of it. You could spend lifetime studying herbs. You could spend lifetimes studying, um, you know, like the aspects of astrology, Jyotish. Like there's just so many interesting things about Ayurveda. So if you are trying to apply it to your life and you're it's like, you could just get nowhere because you could just be dabbling. You could, I, I, there's like a Zen saying, like if you dig deep enough, you hit the well or something. <laughs> and it's like, um, you know, so when someone gives you a hundred recommendations or you read a hundred recommendations online, you don't end up doing anything. But if all you do is focus on sleep for a month, maybe your life will change. So I think of, um, as you understand the teachings, figuring out the essence of the teaching, what it's really saying, because as you know, like the text and as listeners might know, if you've ever read the ancient text yourself, it takes skill and time and patience and a true teacher or mentor to walk you through what they're actually saying. So once you have an understanding of the true essence of the teaching, then you could make it fit a modern day life. So like I mentioned, um, you know, being a mom is my priority. So my kids are sometimes awake at 6.45 or 7 a.m. It is not realistic for me to have a two-hour morning routine. It's not realistic. I've tried to wake up super early and do the whole dinacharya and then have the yoga practice and it stressed me out. So I decided that I do a small morning routine, get them to school, and then I make time for yoga another time. And so it's after breakfast, it's, you know, it's not ideal according to the text, <laughs> but it has to work for my real life right now. And I think, so yeah, basically understanding the essence of the teachings and then taking the most useful, helpful part and applying it to what your life looks like and letting go of other stuff. And like, I just want to give one more really tangible example. So like there's a whole morning routine list 
one of the things on there is nutty. I don't do it. I've tried it. I, I tried to do it consistently. I, I've never had a sinus problem. I got gut issues, you know, so I would never sp skip tongue scraping, for example, like that's like a non-negotiable to me, but it's, I also live near the Gulf of Mexico and I go swimming a few times a week. So the mama ocean is clearing out <laughs> my nasal passages. And for me, that's good enough. And if I had a kapha constitution, then that's the thing I would pick for my morning routine. But instead, I'm going to have to use that time and energy wisely toward what's going to be most beneficial for me and then drop any guilt that I don't have the perfect dinacharya routine. No, I, I, I love that. And I think that that <clears throat> what you're saying is is so true. When I one one of my best teachers in India has told me that he drilled it into my head. He kept saying, Ayurveda is not Indian. It's a universal system of medicine. And he said, and you need to take this knowledge and teach it to the world and apply, you know, the science of life to all cultures because it's a universal system. It's not just for India only because it's a study of nature, right? So it makes sense. It's going to fit into every culture, which has, you know, different geography and and therefore different, you know, experiences from nature, right? So that made, you know, made perfect sense. Um, I want to go through, you know, the home and then the heart and your, your uh, and the wholeness thing, go a little bit more, get some details on each of those, if you don't mind. The, um, the home thing, I totally get it. We raised six children, um, still raising our last ones in college. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, and I never put my career first ever. I, you know, I watched a lot of successful people around me do that and, um, watched a lot of, you know, struggles where those relationships in the family were, were really hurt because, you know, the, 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 the father was just so driven in success that they never really got a chance to be with their family. So I made that really, really important. And my career took a long time to develop over years and over years and years. And it happened gradually. It was always enough to feed my family and raise my family. And I think that's the thing, you know, in Ayurveda, they, you know, it's always about, you know, don't be attached to the fruits of your actions because the, you know, the Gita, you know, telling us don't, you know, if you're after the goal, when you have these kids, which are, you know, growing so fast and blink, you blink your eye, they're seven and 10, right? So it's so important for us to take time and smell the roses. Remember one time, I'll tell you a quick story about my, my wife, who's an angel. I asked her, I came into the house and we had three kids in diapers at one point. Um, Cause we had, we had every two years, maybe not, well, not well, maybe, maybe not, maybe not three in diapers, two, two in diapers for sure. And one, you know, and she was in this in our closet and she's folding clothes and the kids were like playing around, knocking over her piles, you know, kicking over stuff. You need a diaper change. Just like in a way could be looked at as pandemonium. And she's sitting in there, my wife in bliss, playing with the kids, folding clothes, having not a care in the world, just loving this experience. And I said, how do you do that? Like, how is it that you can, can you know, because most moms that I knew, they were like, oh, I just want to go get a job. And if somebody take my kids, it's too stressful. It's overwhelming. And, and she looked at me and she said, I think it's because um, she, she said, um, it's because I love God so much. And she said, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. It's because I know that God loves me so much. 
And there's a huge difference between that. You know, when you love God, then, you know, the whole thing is like, you know, where you're expecting God to love you, then, you know, it's like if a big Katrina happens or some bad thing happens, like, where was God? He didn't love me. You know, he let me down, whatever. But if you love God so much and you have your, your relationship is based on you loving God, no one can ever take that away from you. And that's the lesson that we don't do in our life, in our, in our world, is that the thing that makes us the most happy is when we give and care and love others fully. But most of us don't love each, uh, love others fully. We love we hold back loving others. So when you say put the home and the family first, what the home and the family is is an opportunity for us, I think, and I believe, to practice loving fully, right? And giving your whole heart to someone. You know, I would give seminars and I ask people, I would ask my, my groups to say, how many of you, you know, feel like uh, um, you hold back loving your husband or your, your spouse or partner? And everybody raises their hand, you know. So why do we hold back? And that's what I think family does. It gives you the opportunity to unconditionally love 100% fully and realize that when you do that, you can get completely filled up. And you put your career second, your family first, everything will work out. You know, it really, 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 truly does. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. That was one of the most important parts of my life um, was just, you know, with six kids, right? You had no choice, right? I mean, it wasn't like you said, oh, I can I can go play golf on the weekends. That never happened. You know what I mean? We took all the kids on the golf course, which was insane, but we did. Um, <laughs> and uh, we played around and got broke a few golf carts on one time. But anyway, that's another story. But the point is, I love that. So now the next piece of, of what you said was heart-centered. So talk to me. I mean, it's sort of a little similar thing, but I wonder how you applied heart-centeredness. You know, I actually just sort of have been playing around with this, bringing this concept to the forefront. So I guess that act of writing it down and declaring it as my value. So it's only in recent months that I've been, but I guess Another practice that I like to do is choose one word for the whole entire year. So this year, my word was intuition. And I think that for me in my life, I've been um, in an effort to move out of my head and into my heart, I guess, in, more into embodiment. You know, <laughs> I had a teacher recently say, we're not brains on sticks. So making decisions from the heart rather than the head. And I guess one like real life way that I've been sort of playing yeah. with that or being curious is asking myself a question, like, let's say there's an invite somewhere or should we do this? Should we, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like take this job or do that. And rather than looking at the logical reasons of why to do this, Instead, like take a moment to breathe a little, put my hands on my heart and really like feel into what is the answer from my heart rather than what is the answer from my head. I love that. that I think, you, I mean, again, this is so cool because when you know, there's something in, in the Vedic text, they call it critical analysis, which is self-inquiry. And, and I talk a lot about thinning the veil between the physical and the spiritual and learning how to speak the language of the soul. Because it's weird, right? We have, we all know, most of us believe that when we die, we're when we're here, we're sort of physical and we're spirit and we die, we're just spirit, right? Most people sort of believe that. Everybody has their own version of that. But let's say you do believe that we're actually spirit and then we die, that spirit continues, right? 
well, the spirit's here now. Why can't we have a relationship with that while we're here? Why does it have to be, you have to die to get to the whole spirit thing? Why can't we have it here? Well, Ayurveda was like, well, you can. That was the whole point of Ayurveda was to thin that veil and to become more self-aware of the most subtle things in life. And those subtle things are things like love. So when you get when you engage in self-inquiry, which is really learning how to speak the language of the soul. And I'll, I'll teach you this technique that I really love. And it's a wonderful one where you would, let's say you want to ask a question, um, what is love, right? So you that's your self-inquiry question. So you could be like lying down or in a park or in the woods, whatever, anywhere. And you ask yourself in a real quiet place, you know, what is love? And your mind's going to go, oh, it's this and it's that and it's that. These All these thoughts are going to come up. And that's not your soul speaking to you. That's your mind speaking to you. So you want to wait, just like you said, you want to actually wait for a feeling. And this is right out of the Vedic text. You wait for a feeling, which can come through your senses. It can be a smell, an aroma, a feeling, a sensation. It can be an expansion of your heart. But you want to train yourself to learn how to feel versus think. And so when you ask a question, whatever question it is, and all the thoughts come, you just let the thoughts go by and you just wait patiently for a feeling. If it doesn't come, ask the question again and then let it come. And that's the technique that I use for self-inquiry where you can, and I think it's a wonderful practice what you're doing. And maybe you can, you can I don't know if you do that, but that's a cool way to do it. It's what I do. And if I teach my patients to do that as well, um, but it's a super cool way to begin to start to learn that language because there is a language of the soul, right? Obviously, if, if, if there's spirits out there, they've got to be communicating and it's a feeling thing. And, you know, in the, in the, in uh, Africa, there's tribes who, who speak heart to heart. They don't speak a lot of words. Some of them don't even speak words, um, but they communicate um, in different ways um, that are more heart to heart, not like fork tongue speak a lot with all the mind and manipulation and all that. And when the elders pass away, <clears throat> they have direct communication with the elders as part of their culture where they're communicating heart to heart with the elders because they've been communicating heart to heart all their whole life. It's not like a new thing they have to learn because they've been speaking the language of the soul the whole time, right? And that's a, a beautiful thing. I, I love that because I think what you're doing is absolutely 100% right on. Um, really cool. Heart-centeredness means learning how to feel and learning how to not think. Because thinking, right, you ask your patients, right, how many of us feel like it's this crazy mind of ours that gets us into the most trouble? All right, tell us more about, tell us about wholeness. How does that work for you? <laughs> I guess, to, you know, I have a teacher who has a yoga nidra practice. Uh, it's called Porna, Porna Nidra, and it's on the moon. It, and um, it's free online. I can share the link. But basically, the Sankalpa in there is I am whole and complete as I am. And it's one of those concepts that, intellectually we probably all get like oh yeah sure sounds good <laughs> but spending time with it repeatedly over duration of time like for example and this is I guess part of the simplicity and minimalism that I, I love bringing into Ayurveda and yoga too like doing the same yoga nidra every single day for a month or longer and really just building momentum on one concept in your heart and your mind and your body so rather than skipping around to a bunch of different meditation practices, I know you teach this too, <laughs> just choosing one and sticking with it. And I think, um, I guess for me, it's been like this process of intuition where if you really feel called to a certain 
sankalpa, a certain phrase, like it really speaks to your heart and like heals a part of you to stick with it for some time. So this idea of wholeness, um, what I've learned in my studies of health and even ulcerative colitis and autoimmune conditioned, I, I read some of um, Gabor Mate's books on trauma and just how there's a certain personality of the chronic conditions I have. And that personality is people pleasing and like not wanting to let anyone down. And of course that goes back to childhood family patterns. So what do I do with that now as an adult, besides get angry at my parents and stir in it <laughs> is look at what is like being, where is that friction directing me that needs healing? And I believe that um, the situations that we have in our life, especially like family patterns are part of the momentum of our karma that we're here to heal. So it's like, there's no use getting mad about the actual people that represent those patterns. They're just showing me something. So what I've been shown is that I'm not lacking. There isn't scarcity because those are major blocks that I've had to move through in my life. And I'm not saying I'm totally healed from them, but I'm a lot further along than I was before Ayurveda and yoga. So some of the healing um, wounds that I've been working on are, yeah, a scarcity mindset, not being good enough, not being valued, not feeling supported. And so wholeness is like, you already have it all within, like you were saying, you already have that spirit, that heart centeredness, that light that you can communicate to other people on another level that maybe they don't even know. It's kind of like when you pray or meditate for someone and in this conscious life, you don't see any results, but maybe something's happening on the heart level. So the wholeness piece for me is kind of like a, don't sweat the small stuff. You're already whole and complete as you are. And you can just focus on like the most important things and it's all going to work out, which is not the pattern that I came into this life with. So that is the work, um, like that opposites attract, you know, kind of work. Yeah. I mean, the, that's what the mind does. I think it's, you know, it's, it's job is to distract you from the pain. So you become, you know, focused on something else besides the problem that you have. And in Ayurveda, there's an old saying, this is the pain is directly across from the bliss. And the reason for the pain is to get your attention, which it does, right? So you can go to the pain and then through the pain and access the wholeness that you said, and then let who you truly are out. That's the whole point of going through rough times is it's an opportunity for us to grow and, and realize that we're not the pain or actually the pain is, is a, is a roadmap to get us to it, through it and let who we truly are out. And that's the beautiful thing. But if you don't, you know, throw a rope around that mind of ours, which is constantly distracting us and keeping us, you know, attracted by our senses and by out of by a new this and a new that to be satisfied or the political environment, which is so distracting as well for the mind and right, you know, and everything. Um, we can spend a whole lifetime distracted and never let who we truly are out. Ayurveda, I love the definition of Ayur's life, Veda's truth, and as opposed to Ayur's life and Veda's science, where it's like the science of life. I like the idea that it's about the truth of your life and letting the true nature of who we truly are out is really what we're here to do. So that I wholeheartedly agree with that concept of wholeness. And um, yeah, those are great. So tell me more about minimalist Ayurveda and how, what other tips you have for us, for our, our listeners? Like what, what are some of the things they can do that 
that, you know, in addition to what you've already said? Yeah, you know, um, one thing I like to ask someone in a consultation is when you look back at your life, where there are times in your life where you were feeling good, where you had a good flow, where you didn't feel stress, because I think we all have patterns and that's the nature of life. Like things are going well and then something knocks us off, whether it's this outer thing, like the conditions of our society right now, or, you know, a personal thing, like a breakup or a change, a life change or change in job or something like that. But when things were going good, what was helpful to you then? And it's amazing. I feel like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but sometimes someone comes to me and they're like, they're leading it and they're just telling me all the things they need to do because they already know themselves, but it takes sometimes the holding the mirror up or someone helping you to see like that light within yourself. So I think I don't, I'm sure it's the same with your audience. The people that generally come to me have already been um, learning Ayurveda for some time. And usually they're doing a lot of different things in a very scattered way. And so a lot of times we're taking away stuff and really focusing on the most important things for that individual. And then they could add it back in later. Like, like how I said, you know, for me, focusing on sleep, shutting everything down at eight o'clock, mindful eating, though those things needed to be a priority. And they still are, but they don't require effort anymore because they're just a part of my lifestyle now. I don't have to think about it. And I mean, I do a little just because we have to keep going, but it's not, um, it definitely doesn't take the kind of effort it took to get started. So I think just remembering that when there's a whole, like a lot of change, uh, Vata is still vitiated, even if it's good change. And especially those of us with a lot of Pitta in our personality can kind of want to go in all in and then burn ourselves out and not want to do anything. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever fallen prey to that pattern, even not about Ayurveda, but about anything like all in and then exhausted, like burnt out. So just that slow step at a time and, and building. And for me, um, like practicing stillness and, and yoga, like actually during the class of the practice trained my mind to have the patients to kind of uncover these blocks and things as they come up, if that makes sense. So just choosing a couple very simple things and maybe choosing those things based on where the biggest pain or chaos in your life is at the moment <laughs> and letting go oh, of the other stuff, you know, like the way I, I let go of nutty or there's other stuff I don't do either. That <laughs> Right. It's like a buffet, right? You just, yeah. you just have all these things. You don't like everything on the buffet. And if you ate all of it, you get sick. So, so you just have to choose the things that are the most suited for you. And that might actually evolve and change over time you know you might need netty for a while and then you can get off of whatever but i but i agree with you i don't think you have to do everything i think there's the basic things that that do make sense and you're definitely hitting on some of them you know you have a seven and a ten year old i wonder how how minimalist ayurveda works for them like with this you know we raised six kids and sorted my, my last two really got hit pretty hard from the whole social media cell phone thing, you know, that was really hard and to navigate. So I'm wondering how you navigate a minimalist approach with seven to 10 year old with cell phones and technology and social media and all that. How does that work for you? I'm well, I'm the first to admit I'm not perfect. So, you know, I had um, grand visions of, 
perhaps homeschooling, you know, I love the pictures of the nature babies, <laughs> but my real life, um, I need more rest than that. And I need a village and a community. And so school is the village and community that I have access to right now. And my kids go to a really awesome school that, um, they went to Montessori preschool. So for anyone that has young children, I really love the Montessori method because uh, it allows kids to use real life things. Um, rather, like My kids still have toys and all of that. But for young children, um, for example, like my 10 year old, he can use a chopping knife and chop things, you know, like from the time of so for example, with toddlers, I think just to build the healthy eating, which is such a part of Ayurveda, just to get them used to real food, at least before you send them off. Into the, I mean, they had perfect diets until they went to school. Now they're like trading their organic snacks for Doritos and telling me about it when they get home. So, uh, you know, it's like, do what you can, and then you don't have control of everything. But um, so the Montessori method, I love, you know, not in a rigid way, but just this idea that like teaching them how to crack an egg and letting them make the mess like your wife, you know, folding the laundry, they're making the mess, but they're like a part of what's going on in the household. It's not totally separate where the kids are just off doing only kids stuff. Um, so they're invited into, so when it comes to food and all of that, like they're invited in. Um, and then I have to laugh because mindful eating with children, that's just a whole nother thing, as you know. <laughs> but we have no devices at the table and things like that, but it's still chaos. Um, but then as far as technology, you know, we were like the last ones on the block to get um, like device for the kids. Like I, I gave in when my son was in second grade because he was over at the neighbor's house. And, you know, when I was little and people played video games, like there was one Nintendo and all the kids might be looking at that one thing. And so now children have their own devices. So my son's like the only one in the room and all the other kids are playing Minecraft and he doesn't have one. So I had to give in. And um, of course, if he had one, my younger daughter had to have one. So uh, some basic rules like we have at our house is no devices before lunch. <laughs> um, you know, they get turned off at 7 p.m. There's no uh, social media or apps or phones or anything like that. Um, and I'm kind of planting the seed, like my son's 10 and I'm like, you can get a phone when you're 16, when you're driving. <laughs> so I don't know if we'll make it that far, but he knows there's no, there's no potential of getting a phone anytime soon. So I just planted the seed. That's going to be a long ways away, but you know, it's, it's not without bumps, but it's like, you just have to navigate it with laughter because he took a little poll at school and he's like, I just want you to know that I'm the only person in my class that doesn't get my device first thing in the morning on the weekends. <laughs> So, um, you know, I'm like, sorry, you have a weird mom. <laughs> That's funny that he took a poll for that. Yeah. Yeah. He's using, he's, he's a smart kid. He's going to, he's obviously going to get what he wants eventually, which, uh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, no, it's really tough times. You know, it's a, I think it's tough times to be a minimalist is because our culture is the exact opposite. And to push it back against it is such an important thing, you know, because the things that we think we need, the things that we think we need to be happy, the things we, you know, that we think they need to survive are not real, you know. Um, it's, you know, if you look back just as just the hardships of what, you know, the, you know, the people who started this country in the 1700s, how they live, in the 1800s, how they live, in the early 1900s, how they live, unbelievably hard 
you know, and um, very minimalist. And and uh, yet they created values. They created a country, you know, pretty cool country actually. And uh, so it's it's really tricky to navigate this time with kids. You know, we have two grandkids now, so we're kind of watching that kind of kind of all over again. But it's a uh, it's tricky. I think I appreciate your advice on that. I don't know that anybody has the answer because you can completely isolate your kids and they they can rebel. And it's such a cultural thing. So you have to kind of find that middle ground of rules that are unambiguous that they follow, and uh, and then they're they're better better for it. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for all this. Is there anything else that you want to share about you know your minimalist approach to Ayurveda that we haven't talked about? I guess really just to take it one step at a time and and. Yeah, like everything we've said, like to really direct it to the most important part of your life that needs attention right now and stick with it. Because <laughs> I feel like consistency is so powerful. And that's, that's not a valued thing in our culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dig, you know, I, I call it digging one hole deep, you know, instead of being a mile wide inch deep, where you're just like on the surface bouncing around dig a hole deep, whatever that hole deep. And that's what we felt with our kids was our job was to give them exposure to things that they were good at and they loved and they would succeed in and they were passionate about. And that's what Montessori is about. You let the kid go bake eggs all day long if they want to bake eggs, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And they let the kids develop a, a deep train of thought. And I think that would be where, you know, social media and cell phones don't really do that. You're going like this, you know what I mean? Um, I guess games are different, but, but, um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I have to like say, you know, I, my son, he's 10, he wants to be on it all day and all night if he had the choice. So when I tell him to unplug, but then I'm trying to go take my bath that I realized that wasn't working, you know? So I made it a priority that at seven o'clock they get attention from me. <laughs> so we're reading or drawing pictures together or something. And now he just hops off. No problem. Like it used to be a fight to get him off because I would have him yeah. get off and then we'd go start the bedtime routine. But now we have a big buffer of an hour where we're just having quality time together. It's been really magical, but I had to arrange things in my life to, for that to happen. Like dinner had to be cooked and cleaned up so that there was right. time for us to spend together and not have that rushed or resentful kind of feeling to be like your wife with the <laughs> the magic of the laundry, you know? So, um, and so that's why I realized like, I can't work in the evenings anymore because that's just, uh, you know, before I could, when they're little, because they would just be napping or, you know, doing baby stuff, but now they, they need more full on attention at this age or else their attention is going to be going toward devices basically. Oh, I think that that's a, such a beautiful point, you know, that our kids, they really need our attention. They demand it. They command it. And we're like, you know, you go do something while I go clean or finish my computer work or do this and this or, you know, do the dishes or whatever, where, you know, again, like you said in the beginning, they're the priority, not the clean, perfectly clean, neat house. It's nice to have that, of course, but that's when you, that's where you have to be able to say, you know what? Like you said, pick your battles. I'm going to pick the kids and give them quality time right now versus pick making the house look perfect after dinner. You know what I mean? Or make them do it, whatever. But the point is be together and give them that time is such an important piece. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love what you're doing. Um, 
and um, so your podcast is the is the minimalist Ayurvedic podcast. Is that what it is? It's called the Simple Ayurveda Podcast. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, Simple Ayurveda Podcast. Okay, great, great, good. So everybody can tune into that. And um, how can people find you online? I'm at simpleayurveda.com and I'm on Instagram at simple underscore Ayurveda. So simple Ayurveda, there you go. Angela Perger, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hope to have you back again sometime. And good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This recording is brought to you by LifeSpa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at LifeSpa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.